Amen. All righty. Well, hey, have you guys this week, uh, especially from Sunday, have you seen out there by the fountain, the big hole? You guys realize what we had to do to get that accomplished? It was a whopper. That, that I guess apparently the plumbing out there by that fountain affected the uh, watering for the playground, but also the children's toilets over here. Okay, in the children's wing. Okay, and uh, for those of you who don't realize, uh, we had a little bit of trouble trying to fix those toilets in that line there. Let's, let's, let me just show you how it went. Okay, it wasn't as easy as you think, so you need to appreciate your leadership. Let's take a look. Hey, praise God, it's a desert, you know, sucked up that water pretty quick, apparently, but, uh, hey, you betcha. Well, actually, the moral of the story, thank you for encouraging Joey, he does need some encouragement, but uh, the moral of the story is obviously don't let John Gibson try to fix the toilet, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Master of the pipe wrench, man, yeah, whatever. Anyway, I'll be running after the service because John's here tonight. But anyway, uh, uh, the point of that story is, that, how many guys say that's kind of a big wave, right? Whether it came from the toilet or whatever it came from, but it's a giant tsunami, Right? And how many guys just wake up every day and go, man, I wish today, today's the day, Tom, I could run from a tsunami. Wouldn't that be fun? Motivating, granted, right? No, of course not. None of us would like to be chased by a giant tsunami or wave. Why? Because tsunamis are what? Fearful. They're scary, okay? And yet here's the irony, folks, as we've been seeing in our study. Once again, people today are more afraid of being tossed around by that giant wave than one day standing before Almighty God. More people in our society say are more concerned about ending up in a watery grave than a fiery hell. And it's, it's odd, it's wild, but the Bible gives us the answer we saw uh, before in Romans chapter 3. The reason why is because there's no fear of God before their eyes. Okay, And Jesus said, yeah, you do need to fear, believe it or not. Not man, you need to fear God. Why? Because if you reject God's graciousness and his forgiveness through Jesus Christ, he has the power to send you straight into hell. And how many guys would say that ending up in hell is way worse than that thing? Yeah, just a little bit, and that's why we're going to continue our study, the witness of creation. And what we're doing is taking a look at different evidences that God's left behind for us, showing us the amazing truth. It's not just that he exists, okay, and we just stare at him from afar. It's the incredible, mind-blowing news that we can have a personal, loving, intimate, beautiful relationship with God, the creator of the universe. Anybody excited about that? Praise God more than just Ryan. Okay, uh, but anyway, yeah, it's great news, okay? And so God doesn't leave us hanging high and dry. He doesn't wait for us to get the email, okay? He gives us evidence, tons of evidence, and we've already seen a lot of that. The first one was his evidence of intelligent design or an intelligent creation. He showed us this truth. The second evidence was the evidence of a young creation or a young earth. We have not been here for millions and billions of years. The third evidence was the evidence of a special creation. We did not come uh, from a, an accident or a primordial goo or something of that nature. We came from the hand of God for 
for a special purpose, a relationship with him. Then we saw the fourth evidence was the evidence of a judge creation in the days of Noah. There is so much evidence that God, what? What's, what's the whole flood about? Just some guys surviving on a boat? No, it was him surviving God's first judgment on this planet because of sin. And the point was, if we see evidence of that first judgment because of sin, and he warns he's going to do it again, you might want to pay attention. Okay, that's pretty obvious there. And get saved before it's uh, too late. Then the last four times we saw, the fifth evidence was the evidence of a fearful creation, i.e. the truth about dinosaurs. We've been lied to, shocker, about those guys as well. And what we saw last week, if you were here, the Bible teaches us how dinosaurs, listen, as wild as it sounds, we we did the... uh, uh, checked out the facts, did our homework. Okay, The dinosaurs not only coexisted with man, God is not only who created them thousands of years ago, not millions and millions of years ago, Okay, but they also got on the ark with Noah and they also got off the ark with Noah. Okay, it's what we saw there with the facts. And for the skeptics, we began to deal with that. Oh, come on, you mean to tell me giant di- Yeah, and we took a look. We broke out the calculators, the scripture, did the math, and we saw that size and space is not an issue for getting not just all the air-breathing land animals on the ark, but even the 50 different kinds, not species, kinds of dinosaurs. And then we saw, well, wait a second, that means they got off the ark. Where's all the dinosaurs today? And we saw logically the reason why we don't see a huge population of them post the ark, okay, is because they experienced several different changes. There was a change of climate, change of stability, a change of food. And I would say the biggest culprit, and that's a change of relationship with man. Mankind was hunting dinosaurs down, exterminating them for several centuries after the flood, okay? And this is where we left off last week. Well, wait a second, that sounds pretty wild. I mean, granted, that makes a lot of sense. Certainly agrees with the Bible, uh, that the uh, dinosaurs created by God, they must have been part of the kinds of animals, land animals that God, uh, Noah brought on the ark, okay? Uh, and that kind of explains why there's not a huge population, okay? But you mean to tell me that mankind really, really, really was hunting dinosaurs? I'm still trying to get over this coexistence with them, but mankind was hunting them? Uh, yeah, Fred Flintstone, eat your heart out. This is real, folks. This is awesome. We have been so stinking lied to. In our history, by this one lie called evolution, it's mind-blowing, okay? And it's all throughout our history tucked away in a word called dragons, okay, called dragons, okay? And last time we saw that the post-flood experience with dinosaurs getting on the earth, those that did survive and were able to somewhat reproduce, okay, we don't have a huge population, but those that did survive, uh, they were hunted by man, but they weren't called dinosaurs, Okay, back then they had a name for them. They called them dragons. Dinosaurs, again, is a word that's relatively recent, 1841 by Sir Richard Owens. Okay, so mankind coexisted with them. And when you take a look at that and you look at man's, our historical documents, that's what we're going to see tonight. You're going to see that if you just switch the two, dinosaurs equal dragons, it's like, oh, there you go. They just called them by a different name, okay? And, and it's not just that that's what they did here and there. Literally, every culture on the planet, not only as we saw before in the days of Noah study, has a record of the world being covered with a flood. Remember we saw that? Over 500 different cultures. We also saw that, and what we're going to see tonight, is that virtually every culture on the planet also talks about these creatures called Dragons. It's the same thing, okay? But once again, the live evolution has come along, brainwashed, I'd say even some Christians, and uh, that as soon as you mention dragons, they really think you lost it. 
uh, that you're off your rocker because they say, oh, we all know that dragons, that's just make-believe. They're mythological. Uh, they're there to scare kids and keep them in line, blah, blah, blah. There's no way those things are real, let alone the really dinosaurs, right? And what they do is they've trained people, even Christians, to scoff at this idea before they've even investigated the facts, okay? And I'm sorry, that's not science, okay? But speaking of dragons, again, the word dragon, believe it or not, was defined by the dictionary uh, not that long ago, listen, as a, quote, very rare, though still living animal. So even dragons being considered mythological, that hasn't been around nearly as long as people want to think, okay? In fact, the World Book of Encyclopedia used to carry this definition of dragons. They said the same thing. Quote, the dragons of legend are strangely like actual creatures that have lived in the what? In the past, they are much like the great reptiles. Gee, I wonder what those are. Which inhabited the earth long before man is supposed to have appeared on the earth. Dragons are generally evil, they say, and destructive. And listen, every country had them in its mythology. Now, that's the world book of encyclopedia, okay? And so that leads, lead, leads us, I would say, to the next logical question. Well, wait a second. Um, why does every country on the planet virtually talk about dragons? And why specifically dragons? Why do they draw them the way they do? Why do they talk about them the way they do, as we're going to see again tonight? Why is it dragon? Why is it like every country on the planet talks about giant turtles chasing mankind? <sighs> hamsters, hamsters attack mankind. Hey, you talking China, Russia, everybody's talking about giant. Why is it dragons? Okay, so that's what we're going to take a look at tonight. Are dragons really mythological beings that do not exist? Or what we find throughout our history, man's history, are dragons biblical dinosaurs that got off the ark with Noah? Well, thanks for asking, Ryan. It works well with my notes. The first proof that dragons really are dinosaurs, hello, that got off with the ark of Noah, this is where they went, is with the biblical proof. Okay, the biblical proof is what we're going to take a look at. Okay, believe it or not, folks, dragons are not just mentioned okay, in man's history, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But believe it or not, dragons are actually mentioned in the Bible. Let me give you one passage, just one. We'll take a look at a couple others in a minute. Uh, Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah 51 is our opening text here. Jeremiah 51. If you find Jeremiah, what do you do? Or tell him to get in here. Service has started. Going to cause a disruption. We got stuff to cover. Jeremiah 51, verse 33 through 34. Now, the context here is uh, uh, giving an analogy of how uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going into Israel and just destroying them and things of that nature. But listen to what's used to talk about this time when they were utterly, literally swallowed up and destroyed, okay? Uh, here's what it is. Uh, uh, Jeremiah 51, verse 33 says this, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured us. He has thrown us into confusion. He has made us an empty jar, like a what? Serpent, he has swallowed us and filled his stomach with our delicacies. What? And then he has spewed us out. May the violence done by our flesh upon Babylon, says inhabitants of Zion. So wait a second. I know anybody have a rough day today? Okay, not oh yeah, or as it's going to get. Is that future tense? Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, how many guys have been swallowed up by a serpent lately? Maybe on the way here, maybe that's why a couple of you were a little bit late running in. No? Okay. So obviously this is your first clue that you got something more going on here than just a serpent. And that's exactly why other translations, as you read there, might actually be saying something different than serpent. Okay? Some translations in that passage there in Jeremiah will say monster, swallowed him up, spit him out. Others will say this word, dragon. King James will say that. Okay, dragon, just use it right there. Dragon, swallow him up, and spit him right back out. Chewed him up, right? 
Okay, but here's the point. Either translation, what other translation, it's the Hebrew word, Hebrew word, the same Hebrew word called tanin, and it's actually used about 30 different times just in the, it's in, in the Old Testament, okay? Now, what's interesting is that in most cases, when you take a look in the Hebrew, uh, the word dragon or tanin, okay, can be substituted pretty much most of the time with this word, uh, not just dragon, but dinosaur, and it fits perfectly the same description. Like this guy shares. Let's take a look. Everyone wants to know about dinosaurs and how do dinosaurs fit with the Bible and how do we explain dinosaurs? In fact, that's one of the most asked questions I do get asked as I travel around. And I find most Christians don't know what to do with dinosaurs. Well, what we need to do is put on our biblical glasses and to start from the Bible and build a way of thinking to take to dinosaurs. One of the problems we have today is that people tend to start outside the Bible, listen to what man is saying, and take those ideas to the Bible and say, how do we fit with this a Bible? How do we fit it with the Bible? But we shouldn't do it that way. We shouldn't start from man's ideas. We should start from the Bible, should put in our biblical glasses, and when we understand what the Bible says about the history of the universe, it gives us a whole way of thinking to explain uh, the things of this world. So therefore, on the basis of the Bible, I can say, I know dinosaurs live with people, right? Absolutely, if I speak with the authority of the Word of God. And I can prove it to you anyway. I have a photograph that Eve took in the Garden of Eden. Uh, And so there you can see dinosaurs living with people. But people say, wait a minute, but the word dinosaur, I mean, it's not in the Bible. That's right, the word dinosaur is not in the Bible. Neither is the word email in the Bible. (laughs) Uh, Email came after the curse too, by the way. But... Uh, The word dinosaur was invented in 1841. In fact, the word dinosaur was invented by an Englishman, Sir Richard Owen. He'd found the bones, or been given the bones of Iguanodon and Megalosaurus, and he said, we need a name for these creatures, so he invented the name dinosaur from two Greek words, means terrible lizard or great big monster. See, when you think about it, the King James Bible was first translated into English in 1611, but the word dinosaur wasn't invented until 1841. So you really wouldn't expect to find the word dinosaur then in that particular translation. But I do believe you find a word that means much the same. Has anyone heard of these creatures? Dragons. I'm sure you've heard of stories like St. George and the dragon. In fact, there are even legends about Alexander the Great fighting a great dragon in India. You know, when you go to the country of Wales, the national emblem on the flag of Wales is a dragon. And there are many dragon legends from countries all over the world. I remember seeing a book in the, in the, in the British Museum in London in a glass case, the Anglo-Saxon Chronicles, written a thousand years ago, goes back a thousand years before that in British history, describes the animals living beside people, describes the dragons, and they sound just like dinosaurs. And I think that the dragon legends are actually stories based on people's encounters with creatures that today we call dinosaurs. In fact, it's interesting that in the Old Testament, the word dragon occurs quite a number of times, and in most instances, you can substitute the word dinosaur, and it really does fit. If you look at the book of Isaiah, for instance, uh, or Isaiah, as they say in in America, I don't know how you get Isaiah out of Isaiah, but uh, in, in chapter 43, verse 20, it talks about the dragons and the owls. And then in Jeremiah chapter 40, 14, verse 6, it talks there about the dragons. You see, I believe that dragons really were what we call today dinosaurs. Hmm. Interesting. Makes sense. Where do they go after the ark? I don't see any around today, a whole bunch. Well, they've been here with mankind. They just called them by a different name prior to 1841. It's dragons. It's all throughout our history, okay? Now, that's the biblical proof. So, Bible talks about dragons, tanin, okay? Some translations will actually carry that word, and it's not talking about a mythological creature, by and large. Oftentimes, it's talking about post-flood 
uh, dinosaurs. Okay, the second proof that dragons really are dinosaurs that got off the ark is what I call the comparison proof. Okay, the comparison proof. And what's interesting, if you do your homework and do the research, if you do a side-by-side comparison, you take a look at man's records post-flood and this talk about dragons and how it's, they're described, and they're described in different ways. We'll get to that in a second. And then you do a polemic study and you bring alongside what we know of dinosaurs. Guess what? Like a hand in the glove. It's like, man, it's almost like it's the same creature, okay? But let's take a look at that historical data. Let's do a comparison, okay? First of all, there's the size comparison. I like that little guy. He is my friend, okay? He, he's appropriate for my size. But anyway, that's right. Uh, not all dragons mentioned throughout history are described as these large, giant, horrible, terrible creatures. You know, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, the Brachiosaurus, ah. Some of them are described as being very small. As we saw before, folks, all, not all dinosaurs are also large, horrible, terrifying creatures. Some of them were small, like this little guy called the Compsonactus, uh, was smaller than a cat, Right? So, logically then, if dragons varied in size, according to historical accounts, big, small, medium, whatever, uh, then maybe we're talking about the same creature, right? There's a drawing of one there. That particular one has wings. That doesn't look a whole lot different than that dinosaur down below, does it? Maybe we're talking about the same thing. Size. They come in different sizes. Dragons, dinosaurs, could be the same thing. Take a look at the flying comparison. Believe it or not, not all accounts of dragons mention that they could fly. That's an assumption, Right? Some actually historically talks about dragons that actually had no wings. They were wingless creatures. Uh, and again, this fits the description of dinosaurs too. Some dinosaurs could fly, like the pteranodon or the pterodactyl, but most of them could not. Either way, guess what? That fits the description of a dinosaur as well. Then there's the fire comparison. Okay? Not all dragons mentioned throughout history are uh, dragons that breathed out fire. Okay, we always think about that, especially if you're in the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. <sighs> right? You just think the dragons, oh, they all breathe. No, they didn't all. And throughout history, when man mentioned them, they weren't always all fire-breathing dragons. Okay? As one man said, the pictures we see of dragons today are probably composite drawings. They're the result of taking distinct features of different dinosaurs and putting them all together on one creature. And he gives the analogy. He says, for instance, the same false picture of a fish could be created if one imagined the jaws of a piranha on a body of a flying fish. How many of you guys glad that that's not real? Because you'd have to ditch the pole and grab a shotgun. And I don't think Jeanette would like fishing as much if she had to use a shotgun. Right, Orson? Yeah, okay. But anyway, praise God, that's not, not the facts, okay? So here's the point. This would help explain then some of the fanciful descriptions about dragons and how some of them breathed out fire. However, be that as it may, listen to this, folks. Some of these descriptions about breathing out fire, I believe, does have an element of truth to them. It's not just fanciful drawings, composite drawings. I think some of them actually did, and we're going to see that, in, uh, and I'm going to give you a little test, okay? How many of you guys know absolutely everything about dinosaurs? Praise God, nobody lied. How many of you guys know everything about dragons? Everything you ever knew about dragons, all right? Well, you're going to learn something tonight because, believe it or not, we don't know everything even about reptiles, okay? What if I were to tell you tonight that reptiles can walk on water, huh? Well, believe it or not, some people, not everybody knows this, uh, but some would say, you're crazy, you're nuts, time to get a new pastor, okay? But actually, you would be wrong because there are reptiles today that can literally walk on water. Let's take a look at this guy. This basilisk's greatest threat comes from the sky. Dark shapes overhead make it nervous. A hunting bird might expect it to flee to the trees. In fact, it does the opposite. 
This skitter across the surface of the water earns it precious seconds and the nickname Jesus Christ Lizard. It drives its feet down so hard and so fast that it never sinks deeper than a few inches. A human would need to run at 65 miles an hour to do this. Wow, how many guys want one for a pet? Wouldn't that be cool? We could have used one last week when John was working on that toilet because we couldn't find the mailbox for a long time. We could have shipped that old Sparky there and he could have... Yeah, but I digress. What? Whoa, what? Lizards? I didn't know. Lizards walked on water? That's a, that's a news flash, but that's not all. What, what if I were to say, let's keep going, if I were to say that, that some reptiles can actually fly? Am I crazy or do we not know everything as much as we think? Let's take a look at that. The Draco Lizard. This apparently unassuming creature has an incredible defensive arsenal. And camouflage is only one specialty. Believe it or not, this tree-bound lizard actually takes to the skies by transforming itself into a living hang glider. The nearby snake spots our amorous agent and goes in for the kill. A quick sprint only gets him so far. So now, this secret agent employs the ultimate high-tech defense. The Draco, also known as a flying dragon, flicks open specially extended ribs covered with a tight membrane to create a collapsible wing, leaving the snake for dust. Traveling five feet through the forest for every foot of height lost and using its rudder-like tail to steer, the Draco can reach trees over 160 feet away. As it lands, it quickly snaps in its ribs. The wing disappears, and so does the Draco, once again blending in perfectly to its jungle home. All right, how many guys want that guy? Right? If they're expensive, we'll go in halves. One family get one, we'll get the other, we'll visit, swap, whatever. Whoa! Oh, what's, what's the name of that little lizard? Draco the flying... But we all know that couldn't happen. Maybe there's a little bit more truth. So wait a second, I mean, before we came in, we, we, now we found out, hey, uh, apparently reptiles can walk on water, reptiles can fly, and well, what if I could say that reptiles actually spit poison out of their mouth? Yeah, believe it or not, they can do that too. Let's take a look at that. Snakes prefer to conserve their venom. So it spreads its hood as a warning. The spitting cobra aims for the eyes. Glands squeeze venom through hypodermic fangs. The spray jets three meters. A direct hit could have blinded for life. All right, how many guys want one of those? No, but I did think, no, I'm not, not recommending this because we're Christians, but you, know, you ever get those guests that never leave? It's a weeknight, you got to get to work the next day. 
Yeah, let's move on. I'm not... <laughs> but here's the point. Put all this together. Okay, oh, well, apparently we learned something new. We didn't know everything. Could it be the same thing with dragons? All right, so you put all this together, and apparently, believe it or not, reptiles can walk on water. Reptiles can fly in the air. Okay, as much as people want to scoff. Reptiles can even spit poison from their mouth. So why couldn't a dragon mentioned in history do the same thing? Is it really that far-fetched? Even when it comes to mentioning how dragons spit out fire. Especially when you see other creatures today doing the same thing. Let's take a look at this guy. There are historical accounts all through history about encounters with dragons. Folks, you need to remember, when we think of them, we call them dinosaurs. The Bible calls them dragons. It's one and the same thing. It's like a dinosaur and dragon looking at each other in the mirror. Folks, there's legends of dragons all over the world. In fact, the Chinese culture has loads of accounts of dragons. Not just dragons, but fire-breathing dragons. Somebody will say, wait a minute, now you've gone a little bit too far. You had me all the way up to there, but that's just over the top. Well, how many of you have heard of the bombardier beetle? I'm sure a few of you have. It's a little beetle, about three quarters of an inch long. We got him right here in the Appalachian Mountains. This little guy is quite an amazing little guy. Now, don't try to catch one of them because it will hurt you. But it turns out that this guy was designed with two little chambers right near his rear end. Now, in one, and a third one right there. Now, in one of them, he contains 28% hydrogen peroxide. In the other one, I think it's hydroquinone, if I pronounce it right. When something comes up and attacks him, he injects those two chemicals together into the third chamber, an explosion happens, and fire and smoke shoot out his hiney. Just whoo! <laughs> I'm glad the kids aren't in here, because I use that word with them, and the whole place breaks up. I don't know what other word to use. Uh, but it comes out his rear end, okay? Now, think about that. You're a bug, three-quarters of an inch long. Something attacks you. You cause this explosion. Bam! What happens to the bug? I mean, the bug's got rocket power, right? He goes shooting in the opposite direction. I mean, fast escape here. No, that's not what happens at all. Look at the little clip, video clip on this little bug. It's absolutely amazing how God designed this little guy. You see, he designed this little bug that when he shoots the cannon, and by the way, he can aim the cannon, when he shoots it, he shoots it in a whole series of explosions so fast you can't see it with the naked eye. It goes pop, 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 really, really fast, and that allows the bug to remain in one spot while he blows the attacker away. Now take a look at this. This spider is going to come up here in this clip, and he's going to decide that he's going to want to have a little bite of this little bombardier beetle. Now the bombardier beetle's right there. He looks at him and thinks, boy, I'll think I'll have you for lunch. And bam, just blows him away. <laughs> a fire shooting bug. Now, question. If God could design a defensive mechanism in a little bombardier beetle that shoots fire and smoke... Couldn't he have done that with the dragon? Remember the hadrosaur dinosaur? That one with the big, long, bony crest? Turns out he's got two chambers in his head, a third chamber right here. I just wonder if those two chambers in that bony piece didn't contain two chemicals, and when something attacked him, a fire-breathing dragon. Wow. Learn something every day. Maybe that's not so fanciful. Maybe it is part of our history. Uh, and uh, it's not mythological at all. But let's continue on with the comparison. There's the cave comparison as well. Remember, we're comparing dinosaurs 
dragons side by side. They are one and the same creature. Another misconception about dragons is they all lived in caves, right? They always, and that's not true. Some historical accounts reveal that some dragons historically lived in the forest, others lived in the sea, and this is just like dinosaurs, right? Lived in different areas, so that's another comparison. There's also the herd comparison. Historical accounts show that some dragons were lone hunters, okay? Some mention them that they literally were in a pack, in a herd, okay? And again, this fits dinosaurs, okay, what we know about them today. Some dinosaurs were lone hunters, others traveled in herds, big giant herds too, uh, by the way. Uh, Then there's the egg comparison. This is wild, okay? Interesting enough, of all things, how dragons are said to reproduce is they lay what? Eggs, of all things. Well, guess what? Guess what dinosaurs did? They did the same thing, okay? Paleontologists have found all over the world numerous dinosaur eggs, egg nesting sites, just like are mentioned with uh, dragons as well. So, kind of to me, you take a look at the research, you do the comparison, you got dragons, how they're mentioned in history, like it lump it, leave it or not. You got what we know about dinosaurs, you put them side by side, and it reminds me of the old adage, if it walks like a duck, acts like a duck, quacks like a duck, it's probably a what? Probably duck. So, based on this information, doing your homework, you compare dinosaurs and dragons, and you see that dinosaurs, uh, dragons walk like dinosaurs, they act like dinosaurs, they live like dinosaurs, they look like dinosaurs, they lay eggs like dinosaurs, they're probably dinosaurs. Can anybody come to that same conclusion without any help? Okay, and that's, and that's just dealing with the facts, right? So we got the biblical proof, we got the historical proof, doing a comp- uh, comparison proof, okay, and now we're going to get to the historical proof, okay? This is the hot button, because you might be saying, okay, that's, that's interesting, okay, so the Bible does mention dragons, which pretty much fit the description by and large most of the time uh, with the dinosaurs, so that explains even the Bible mentioning post-flood uh, dinosaurs, okay? And then if you do a historical comparison, you do see that dinosaurs and dragons, they're certainly one and the same creature based on what's uh, shared about them. But, uh, but what about these historical accounts, right? These guys keep mentioning, he talked about China's got mentioned the dragons, and these people in all these countries mentioned dragons. Well, what about those accounts? Why don't we take a look at those accounts and see for ourselves? What do you guys think? Hey, that's what, exactly what we're going to do. And uh, you tell me, folks, when you take a look at these historical accounts, if dragons dinosaurs, again, mentioned all over the world, are not one and the same creature. Let's take a look at that. Ancient peoples all over the world have told of huge reptilian creatures strikingly like the dinosaurs. The ancient Europeans called them dragons. One of the best preserved tells of the hero Gilgamesh, who decided to make a name for himself by traveling to a distant land to fell cedar trees for his city. He reached the place with 50 volunteers and discovered a huge dragon which devoured trees and reeds, was fearsome to see, and had terrible teeth. Gilgamesh killed it and cut off its head for a trophy. The ancient stories of India often mention dinosaur-like animals. When the famous conqueror Alexander the Great was assaulting some of the cities of India, he found many great reptiles which the Indians kept in caves and worshipped. The Indians begged Alexander not to bother the animals, and so he agreed. When the army was marching past one of the caves, the great reptile heard the sound and stuck its head out. It hissed so loud and emitted such gusts of rage that everyone was terrified. They estimated that it was over 100 feet long. 
In China, the dragon is the national symbol. Here too, some of the most ancient artworks of dragons closely resemble some of the known dinosaurs. Ancient Chinese books tell of people using dragon's blood, fat, brains, and saliva for medicine. Today we know that at least some of the dinosaurs reproduced by laying eggs. Likewise, the Chinese believe that dragons laid eggs. In fact, a large, light, hollow one was said to have been found in the Great River, and another was found that was very heavy and sounded as if it contained water when they shook it. Some ancient books even tell of an early Chinese family that bred dragons which the emperors used for pulling their chariots on special occasions. Like many other peoples, their belief was so strong that they even designed their ships to resemble the dragons of the sea. The Scandinavian countries had about as many tales of dragons as anywhere in the world. One ancient Scandinavian legend told of a dragon which had a big body like an ox. It had two long back legs like a frog's and two short front legs. Its whole body was covered with scales. It had monstrous jaws and it could leap like a frog. This sounds amazingly like several known dinosaurs. Paleontologists actually do think that some of these beasts could use their powerful hind legs to leap. Many great heroes supposedly killed a dragon. There is the story of Beowulf, who slew a dragon who lived near the sea, and St. George, who killed a dragon which lived in a cave. Although medieval and Renaissance artists often depicted these animals with fanciful appendages, the dragons often look remarkably similar to modern reconstructions of known types of dinosaurs. A 10th century Irish writer recorded an encounter with a large beast which is reminiscent of a stegosaurus. He described it as having iron nails on its tail which pointed backwards, a head shaped somewhat like a horse's, and thick hideous legs with iron claws. The city of Nerluc in France was renamed in the honor of the killing of a dragon there. Some of the details of the beast sound similar to the Triceratops, for it was said to have been armed with tusks that were sharp like pointed swords. The body was larger than an ox, and it lay in wait in the river. In the 1500s, a well-known scientific book actually still listed dragons as living but extremely rare animals. Also, a famous scientist of the time, Ulysses Aldrovandus, carefully documented an encounter between one of these nearly extinct reptiles and a peasant named Baptista. The poor monsters had become so reduced in numbers and size that on May 13, 1572, this simple Italian herdsman killed a hissing dragon near Bologna simply by knocking it on the head.
Its description is remarkably similar to the small dinosaur, Tanastrophius. Ancient peoples also reported dragons that could fly. The famous Greek historian and explorer, Herodotus, told about flying reptiles in Egypt that sound similar to the Ramphorhynchus. He correctly described their snake-like body and their bat-like wings. At the entrance to a narrow gorge, he was shown many piles of bones of those that had been killed. Flying reptiles were also reported in Europe in the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle, and an authority reported sighting a flying reptile near Mount Pilatus in Switzerland as late as 1649. Dinosaurs are just one of many types of animals that have become extinct because of the changing ecological factors on the earth. In the last 350 years alone, almost 400 species have disappeared. And so, most likely, that's what happened to most of the dinosaurs. Keyword there, most. All right? But they're all over the world, okay? If you take a look at the facts, it's almost like we need to do a major revision of the history we're being told, okay? Now, the problem is our history has already been rewritten, and that's been done by the live evolution, okay? We've not only been lied about our origins, where we came from, but we're being lied to even of our recent history, the post-flood history, by the same live evolution, okay? And I think it's pretty obvious, because if this gets out, what's that do to the theory of evolution? Blows the whole thing out of the water. Dinosaurs today are one of their biggest tools that they're using to brainwash kids from wee high away from God. The first lines we saw before in virtually every single coloring book, a kid's book, textbook, it starts out like this with dinosaurs. Millions of years ago. That's a lie. Dinosaurs were created on the sixth day with man, along with the other land animals. Okay, dinosaurs always live with man. They even went on the ark, got off the ark, and they've even been in our recent history. They just didn't call them dinosaurs because that word wasn't invented until 1841, but they did call them dragons, okay? And believe it or not, speaking of cover-up, evolution, that lie, that's still the tip of the iceberg because you might be thinking like J.J., right, J.J.? Absolutely. Well, wait a second. All right, this dragon stuff, dinosaur stuff, that's kind of interesting stuff, and I must uh, admit that that explains where they went after the flood, right, if they really were on and off the ark there, okay? But you would think if this truth, they did continue to exist, that maybe there'd be at least... One somewhere on the planet hiding out still, and and this part, you know, granted, probably most of them went extinct, but surely there's a couple still surviving somewhere that somebody's heard about or seen, right? Well, believe it or not, you want to be here next week. That's right, Joey. Sorry, cliffhanger part 7,000, right? That's exactly what we're going to see. I believe there are still some alive today, and we've got actual video of several different kinds water dinosaurs, land dinosaurs. Anybody here? I'll just give you a little teaser. You might hear this thing called the Loch Ness Monster. What if that was really just a dinosaur? Could it be? We'll come next week and we'll find out. As well as, what's John up to next time? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. 
The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, It could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, That means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins 
and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive. God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com 
or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.